Hello, and welcome to Commercial Real Estate Views with Nayot Pittsburgh's Developing Leaders podcast. This year's Developing Leader, or DL, annual sponsor is RIDC. The DL Hardhat sponsor is Falkbilt, and the mentorship sponsor is Desmond Architects. Through these sponsorships, we're able to put on this podcast series. I am Clayton Morris, the 2020 Nayot Pittsburgh Developing Leader Chair and Asset Manager at Samson Morris Group. I am also an affiliate member of SIOR. In this episode, I interview Pat Setner, Rick O'Brien, John Biliak, and Jack O'Donohue on what it takes to be a top broker. These brokers earn the SIOR designation requiring them to meet and uphold a high threshold of deal flow while being held to a high standard of integrity. Hey, Pat, why don't you introduce yourself? Clayton, thank you very much. My name is Patrick Sentner, and I am currently an executive vice president with CBRE, focused on occupier users. And at the same time, I'm also the global president-elect for SIOR. So, Pat, how did you get into brokerage? I was actually very fortunate because it is not an industry I knew anything about growing up. Coming out of Westminster College, I had a finance major and was told by our guidance counselors that I needed to then go work for a bank. So sure enough, I spent the next five, almost six years working as a commercial lender, doing a lot of commercial real estate lending, which in turn got me the opportunity to be introduced to some commercial real estate brokers. One in particular was somebody that I got a chance to really pick his brains and ultimately learned a lot about the industry. And then candidly, I cold called him to death over the next year until he finally hired me. And I started with Oxford Development Company and their third party brokerage group back in the very beginning of 1997. Pat, once you got into brokerage, what did you do to get to where you are today? I was fortunate where I had a very interesting project that was thrown on my desk. And that was the Thornhill Distribution Center up in Cranberry. That was a build uh, to suit that was being candidly done spec. And my job was the cold call on that. So literally for nine months, I made anywhere from 50 to 100 calls a day and ultimately did everything humanly possible to find a tenant for that building. Ultimately, I was unsuccessful with that. However, the people that I was working for noticed that I was making four to 500 calls a week and sure enough, brought me in on their partnership uh, within the first year. I thought I was doing a horrible job because I wasn't bringing in any tenants, but they saw that I just did what I was supposed to and made those calls. And that was really what got my career started. Awesome. Cold calling is difficult. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Pat, what is the hardest lesson you learned in a lease for sale deal? Clayton, that's actually a great question, and I can come up with basically every single success story you can ever imagine in real estate, and also at the same time, probably every single failure that you possibly could have. But the one thing that I have learned more than anything is, number one, trust people, which in a weird way almost sounds contradictory as you hear in real estate and business that it's a cutthroat business. What I have found is that if you actually can gain the trust of the person that or group that you're negotiating with and in turn can trust them, it almost doesn't matter how tough of a transaction it is. You will figure out a way to do it. So there's no doubt about it. Trusting others and having them trust you has easily been the best lesson that I've learned in this industry and I continue it today. 
Pat, any advice to up and coming salespeople or brokers? Number one, it is to make sure you're not trying to do this on your own. You need to have a mentor, somebody that hopefully you can partner with, but at a minimum, somebody that you can learn from. I've seen so many people over the past 25 years not want to bring in another broker because they don't want to share fees or whatever. And in turn, they don't learn the right way to be a broker and to take care of clients. So more than anything, find that person who can be a mentor, hopefully, as I said, a partner, but at least a mentor who can give you honest advice as to how to handle the many different nuances that will come up in your real estate career. So Pat, you are very active in SIOR and I admire SIOR brokers and it's kind of, from my understanding, the way I describe it is the top of the top brokers in the nation or the region or the city even. So one, we describe SIOR and uh, the value to you and brokers and then also what you do for SIOR. Clayton, absolutely. I've been uh, an SIOR, which is the Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. It's a global organization with 3,400 members. Virtually all of us are office or industrial brokers specializing in everything ranging from taking care of landlords to taking care of corporate services to taking care of just local tenants. And we have strong presence in London, Chicago, Des Moines, Iowa, and even Erie, Pennsylvania. Our goal is to have somebody all across the world who we can trust. When we have a client that needs market information in Poland, we're not just pulling down a report. Instead, we're calling our SIOR colleague who can let us know the same kind of nuances that are happening in their market, just like someone could call me and ask me what's going on in Pittsburgh. So I've, as I said, I've been an SOR for 18 years, and during that time, I've become more and more involved, not only on a local standpoint, but on a global standpoint. And I was recently elected to become a global officer, served a year already as the global vice president, and currently the global president-elect, and next year will take over as the global president. And it's interesting, because one of the things that we're really working on right now are initiatives to get our organization and candidly the entire real estate community more diverse and by diverse i mean three different things number one a lot younger number two we want and need more women and number three we need and want people of color so that we truly can have as diverse of an industry as humanly possible unfortunately for decades you know that has not been what commercial real estate has been we're not a very diverse uh, industry. However, what we're doing right now through SAOR, it's one of our main initiatives that we're going to be focused on over the next three years. And currently we're working with NAOP, Crew, NAR, ULI, and other organizations to figure out how do we get things changed. And while we're still in the infancy stages, really what we're focused on is number one, getting out into the community and teaching high school kids what commercial real estate is about so that when they go to college, they then have an idea, hey, I don't have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. There are other really interesting industries that we can get into, and that includes commercial real estate. So once we get the high school kids at least knowledgeable of what we're doing, then our goal is to get the top universities across the globe 
having real estate programs. So not necessarily just to be brokers or just to be developers, but commercial real estate is such a diverse industry. We want to have a full diversity of people working in SIOR, not only in SIOR, but in commercial real estate over the next 30 years. Our average age right now is 55. Something has to change. And that's our number one priority is to get the right people into commercial real estate going forward. Those are great objectives for uh, SIOR. ULI has similar objectives. NAIOP has similar objectives. Uh, and I think almost every large company, small company in real estate is trying to increase diversity. And it can only improve the industry as well. There's no doubt about it. And candidly, we do have to start at the core. Myself, I knew nothing about commercial real estate coming out of college. And if I wasn't fortunate enough to have been working on a transaction and met somebody in the industry, I would never have had the joy, candidly, that I've had over the past 25 years in this industry. And I want to make sure that that's open to all people who would have an interest in our industry. Pat, thank you for taking the time today to talk with me, talk to the else through the podcast and discuss how you started and have excelled as a broker and also introduce us to SIOR and some of their objectives. Absolutely, Clayton. It was a pleasure in you being an emerging leader yourself in the Pittsburgh brokerage and development community. It's exciting to see the enthusiasm that you're showing as well. Thank you, Pat. Pat, thank you for discussing SIOR and sharing your knowledge. Now, on to Rick O'Brien. Hey, Rick, why don't you give us a short little introduction about yourself, uh, your current position, uh, your education, and your early uh, work experience? Well, again, thanks for having me, Clayton. Uh, my name is Rick O'Brien. I lead the Pittsburgh Industrial Real Estate Group of JLL here in Pittsburgh. Um, early on, I started off in public accounting. And uh, while working on the audit trail, I, I was uh, placed on a couple of real estate-oriented accounts, and I found it fascinating. So I headed to uh, back home to Pittsburgh and attended the uh, Cat School of Business. Best school of business in Pittsburgh. Absolutely. And that is how I got my start in uh, commercial real estate. Rick, how did you get into brokerage after your CATS degree? Well, during that, uh, my previous work experience, I worked on the audits of uh, closely held real estate investment firms. In fact, one of them was turned into the Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust. Originally, it was the Rubenstein organization. And I found real estate to be very, very interesting. It blended finance, accounting, marketing, and it, and it gave you a sense of place. You were aligned with what was happening in your, in your world, in your community. So, so, so from there and your interest in real estate and finance, who got you into brokerage? What was your first job dealing with real estate sales leasing? My first position was with Pennsylvania Commercial Real Estate. I had interviewed during business school with the principals and uh, they had offered me a job However, the, the market conditions had changed and Cushman had um, terminated all their branch offices in secondary and tertiary markets. So they became Pennsylvania Commercial Real Estate. So I started with a local firm with local folks doing local brokerage. So Rick, once you got into brokerage, what did you do to get to where you are today? Clayton, that's an interesting question. I can knit together a pretty cogent story that will take you from where I am to where I started. 
and it sounds pretty good. I started with a, a local firm, Pennsylvania Commercial Real Estate. I worked hard, made my calls, introduced myself to owners, investors, and occupiers. But I think more importantly, I, I made some relationships with the brokerage community and the brokers themselves. So when Bill Leone and decided to make a leap into development in brokerage with Oxford Development, he asked me to join him. So I was able to go from Pennsylvania Commercial to Oxford, where I was exposed to uh, Steve Guy, who had a very strong financial background to this day, and Scott Bergstein, who was a, a deal-making attorney as a broker. And I think from those gentlemen, I, I picked up a couple of uh, good basic business skills, read everything, and try to check your work before you turn it in, right? Mm -hmm. And during that time, I was involved in some transactions in the local street brokerage with some of the fellows down at Grubb and Ellis. So I'd be primarily Ned Doran, Tom McCaffrey, Jerry McLaughlin, Lou Oliva. So Lou asked me to come down, Lou and Duke Kingsley asked me to come down to Grubb. And I thought that would be a next step because we're going from a local and regional brokerage to a national firm. And during that time, when I was serving as SIOR president, I invited Dan Adamski, who was relatively new to the business and doing a great job, if he would join the trade organization. And, and that gets a little better because then 10 years went by, had a great 10-year run at Grubb and Ellis, and then Grubb and Ellis ran into financial difficulties, and Dan Adamski called and said, hey, why don't you join JLL? We've got a great platform. We are going to grow. We're going to be bigger. And we have a lot of tools for your clients and for yourself. And that's how I ended up at JLO. Awesome, awesome. So it sounds like you made, not only worked hard, but you focused on building relationships and leveraging those relationships to get to where you are and get deals and know in advance. Yeah, well put, Clayton. It's very important to know the people as well as the product. What was the hardest lesson you learned in a lease or a sale deal? Clayton, that's a great question. And I believe the hardest question is what do you think you know versus what don't you know but don't know enough to know you don't know it. And so whenever we were working on one particular project, I believe that I had a pretty good handle on the steps needed to be taken for site analysis, the geotech, etc. What I didn't realize was the engineers doing the underlying geotech did not pull the correct information. And so what we learned in 2020 hindsight was we put a building on a seismic fault. That's a problem. So what, what you check out the engineers work now? So now we tend to at least double check and ask them, are you sure this is the right plan? <laughs> that, is a, that is quite the lesson there. Wow. Any advice you would give to a new salesperson, leasing agent, broker, anyone getting into the business? Clayton, I guess the best piece of advice that I ever received was to work hard. And the harder you work, the luckier you get. And the, the major underlying component is, which I share with, with the younger guys all the time, is 
just read, just read the documents, mm. just read your emails, just stay on top, be prepared to answer the question or be prepared to at least understand the question, maybe drop a phrase that indicates you read it and then say, I'll endeavor to get back to you with an answer. That's great advice there, Rick. Rick, is there anything else uh, that a developing leader should know or do you have any other anecdotes you'd like to share? Well, Clayton, I, I believe, as we all know, we're experiencing a tumultuous time. And what is going to be great for the young developing leaders is that they're going to be able to craft pretty interesting stories from whenever they started during 2020 mm -hmm. and how primitive we did business during the pandemic and, and to see where our market evolves and what the next step in Pittsburgh is. Will we evolve into a biomedical hub? Will AI continue to power uh, a section of our economy? Is healthcare going to you know, continue to have such an impact in our region? Or will we return to basic manufacturing? Uh, there's a story's not written, and uh, these young developing leaders are going to write that little piece of history. Every time there's a change or an upheaval, something different happens. So you're saying it's our kind of time to determine what happens. Well put. All right. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for uh, uh, going through these questions with me. You're very welcome, Clayton. Rick, I appreciate you sharing your experiences. Now on to John Biliak's interview. Hey, John. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for coming out here. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, uh, what you do in your education? Thanks, Clayton. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so John Biliak, principal at Colliers International, focused on industrial real estate for my entire career, uh, graduate of Robert Morris University, um, and lifelong Pittsburgh. So how did you get into brokerage? What was your first? So uh, I'd like to say there was a great plan to it, but uh, it really was by happenstance. Um, I was in my mid-twenties. I was uh, set on a career in the restaurant business and uh, at that point evaluating purchasing a restaurant and going down that path. And I talked to my uncle who is a very successful restaurateur and he essentially talked me out of it. And so I at that point had um, several apartment buildings. I knew I liked real estate. I started casting about for a career other than, than real estate and um, was connected through my brother-in-law with Brad Totten, which introduced me to Grub and Ellis. And uh, after bugging Duke Kingsley for about six months, he finally agreed to hire me. Great story. So restaurants, ever getting back into restaurants, John? Uh, no. So, John, you're, you're in the brokerage now. You're out of the restaurant business. What did you do special to get to where you are today? I don't know if I would categorize as special or luck, but uh, as mentioned before, I was fortunate enough to land at Grub and Ellis. And at that point, Grub and Ellis had uh, a, tr a tremendous amount of really good brokers. And I was smart enough to keep my eyes and ears open and listen and learn from a lot of them. There was a couple that went out of their way to, to really uh, mentor me. Uh, but I spent my first year in research, which I absolutely hated at the time. But in retrospect, it was uh, it was a great teaching tool for the market because 
ultimately, when I got out and started trying to broker deals, I, I knew where buildings were. I knew where roads were. Um, so it was a year well spent. But, um, you know, a lot of, of my good habits were formed from watching really good brokers go about their days and going about their just doing deals and, and osmosis. So just paying attention to what the paying attention. experience guys are doing. Yes. What is the hardest lesson you learned either through a lease or a sale deal? So I, I guess uh, I've been doing this for long enough that there's been quite a few hard lessons learned. Um, but the one that was learned by me pretty early on was that there are certain aspects of the deal that are just fundamentally beyond your control. And learning to control what you can control and I guess having the wisdom to understand what you can't control and being proactive about what you can control and being resigned on what you can't control helps to set expectations because uh, it can be a very frustrating business uh, when you work very hard and a deal falls apart for uh, any number of reasons that are, are beyond your control. So that, that helps put things in perspective, at least for me. But, uh, so, so managing what you can manage to get the best results correct. versus stressing about what's out of your... Yeah, I mean, I guess in, in any business, you can spend a whole lot of energy um, trying to control things that are ultimately beyond your control. And what um, the valuable takeaway for me that I was fortunate enough to learn pretty early is to work really hard at what you can control and... Um, um, don't expend unnecessary energy on things that are beyond your control or sense. anxiety. Yeah, it makes total sense. So do you have any advice for upcoming uh, salespeople or brokers, the developing leaders in now? What, what should they be focused on if they're getting into sales or leasing? Um, that, that's a good question. So um, I guess what it took me a, a kind of a long time to realize is that there's there's – a lot of good brokers out there and a lot of good brokers who are doing, go, who go about their business in completely different ways. There's different brokerage styles. And what you really have to understand is your strengths and your challenges, what you're good at, um, and focus on that aspect of, of that style of brokerage. Um, because as, as there, there's a, there's more technical brokers, there's more personality brokers, there's more relationship brokers. There's a lot of different ways to go about this business and you just have to figure out what, what works for you and, and do it. The other strong bit of advice is to stay organized and stay on top of organized, not to the point where you are spending your day organizing everything instead of out being out there bro brokering. Because there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of... A mistake I see common in a lot of brokers, is, or young brokers, is they get comfortable in a spreadsheet and they use the spreadsheet in order to avoid going out and doing some of the things that they're less comfortable at. Mm -hmm. Cold calls. Cold calls. Ugh. I don't blame them for that. Yes. John, thanks again for coming out and uh, the solid advice uh, you dispensed during this interview. Well, thank you, Clayton. Thanks for, for going through the effort to put uh, NAOP content out 
there for, for everybody, and I, I appreciate the invitation. I'm quite confident that uh, mine will be the least in- interesting interview you, you give, but uh, I'm happy to fill the time. Fabulously interesting already. John, thank you for sharing what you learned through your years of experience. Now, last but not least, Jack O'Donohue. Jack, thanks for joining us uh, on the NAOP DL podcast. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, your role, what you do, and your education? Yeah, I'm, I'm a principal at uh, Cushman Wakefield Grand Street Associates. Um, going back to uh, college days, I uh, graduated from Duquesne University and uh, always had an eye on real estate at the time. Uh, growing up in an Irish family, my father was very entrepreneurial when he came over here from Ireland. And, and believe me, the, the best education was a school of hard knocks when, in that environment. He owned a restaurant that was fairly popular here in Pittsburgh at the time called the Blarney Stone Restaurant for 30 years. But before that, he was a carpenter and uh, he was uh, he started a construction company, which we all worked in. And uh, from there, I got very interested in development. Uh, started focusing my education at Duquesne on finance and um, on real estate and uh, was told to uh, look at the Galbraith Company as a good opportunity. One, they were a big developer in Pittsburgh at the time and owned a number of properties here. Um, back in those days, you only handled your property. There was less of the brokerage, blanket brokerage that mm-hmm. we see today. So you really got to know your properties from top to bottom and that was prior to the uh, specialization of uh, tenant representation so it was a different time jim dawson hired me uh, right out of college uh, i wore him down by when i was working as a security guard at gateway center i would uh, stop up in the mornings after the midnight shift that i was on and uh, sit in their lobby and say hello to everybody when they walked in the door. So my persistence paid off and they hired me directly out of school. And uh, from there, um, Ed Cannon, who uh, is the father of Jason Cannon, is with CBRE and a great retail broker. And uh, Ed took me under his wing and, and uh, taught me the business uh, you know, from top to bottom. So I've been very fortunate to have a great experience with a number of very successful people. Jim Dawson was one of the top brokers in town with the Galbraith Company at the time. Things went very well. Uh, Tim Getz, Rob Geiger, and myself were all hired by Jim out of college at different intervals of our life. And we have been together now for 37 years. It's a remarkable story because very few people stay together in one profession that long. Um, outlast some marriages, but uh, we uh, decided in 1993, as there was a shift in uh, the Galbraith company, uh, we decided to break away and start our own, and we started Grand Street Associates. And uh, from there, uh, Jim Dawson retired probably six years later as we moved into it. But we were fortunate about 90% of all of our uh, clients decided to come with us within an 18-month period. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just goes back to show no matter what era you're in in this business, it's a personality business and a confidence business. And when your clients have that confidence in you, they, you they step up. And uh, they would always say, you're the guys that are working for us and you're the guys we hired. It's not so much the flag. And it's great to brand ourselves and we all differentiate what we all can do. But at the end of the day, 
It's you, your reputation, your personality, your perseverance, your interests that really drive uh, the foundation of who you are in this industry. Great, great. So you, you attribute a lot to personality, confidence, but then you also focus your education, you said, on finance, and it sounds like right. a lot of work experience. Yes. So, Jack, once you got into brokerage, uh, what did you do to get to where you are today? Did you figure out your special sauce? Did you have a mentor? What, what, what made you Jack O'Donohue? Well, grassroots is starting in uh, uh, a corner of the uh, of a file room and handed a yellow pages, which is non-existent, I think, in, in this day I don't and age. About. Yeah, <laughs> big phone book and picking up the phone and making calls, and so that you can't get away from. And to this day, reaching out via phone, text, email however you do it, uh, that, that is the base element, is that communication. Um, you know, again, through advertising, any means, uh, which we have a variety of now, there's many avenues. But back in the day, if you weren't shaking somebody's hand, you were on the phone making a call. Um, went out, did a lot of networking, uh, worked with a number of charitable organizations on various boards, uh, was on various uh, committees of professional organizations. And as a young person, it was really getting out and passing out as many business cards as you could. And uh, I was like a dealer in Vegas. I was throwing them everywhere I could uh, could possibly throw them. What's I your mean, number? Do you know? Your, I mean, my first year I did, I think it was like 750. Yeah, I don't know my number, but I was going through boxes of them back in the day. I would even uh, stop at lunchtime if I was walking by a law firm that I was trying to get in contact with. And I would stop in their office. I would just drop off a card and leave. And sometimes I'd get a call, and sometimes I wouldn't. And maybe a week later, I'd stop by the same office. I'd drop off a card and put a little note on the back, a little handwritten note. Um, So I'd just stop by, see if you're in, and we'll give you a call. And I would wait a week. I wouldn't call right away. And I would make that call. And I just found that being passively aggressive in that way was a little more of a subtle approach, uh, which made people feel a little more comfortable whenever they got uh, your call or you did get them online mm-hmm. or you did run into them somewhere. Um, and that was a big part of Pittsburgh at the time was reaching out and getting out. And I always said I love the part of Pittsburgh being a vertical city as a horizontal city is when you did go out at lunchtime or walking to an appointment, you wind up seeing half your clients and friends and then on the streets. And I think that's what makes Pittsburgh a little bit special as well. Uh, we, a lot of friendly competitors. I always talk about our competitors as being uh, friends that work at different companies. And that's the way I approached it and always looked at it. And I think that helps with your success is when you have that healthy, positive attitude you know, about your profession as well as your uh, competition that's out there. And I always got a chuckle from people when, when they would say, well, what differentiates you? And, and I always said, uh, what differentiates us, <clears throat> especially now, uh, being part of the large Cushman brand, which is just growing internationally each year, uh, we're entrepreneurial in, in spirit. Uh, we are an alliance partner, so we're 95% branded to Cushman and Wakefield mm-hmm. corporately. So we get that corporate introduction with our clients. But we also have that entrepreneurial way of 
you know, sitting down with somebody and understanding what their P&L is all about because I feel the same pain and gain that they do. Yeah. You know, you feel it in your pocket and you feel it in your heart uh, when you're an entrepreneur. And so we get the best of both worlds uh, from that uh, that approach. Um, but that's what, uh, you know, really uh, differentiates us a little bit and uh, really helped us in the early years uh, with uh, moving to where I am today. Uh, but staying in touch with your clients is such an important aspect, uh, something that I really feel has helped get me to where I am. There are clients that people I talked to in 1983, 80, 45 that are uh, still clients today, and, and that's a real plus. So, so you've mentioned twice in the previous interviews I've done, and, and I've grown up with knowing this relationship business, and it's nice to hear that it is. being reiterated. Yeah, and, and also, you know, I find that through people you learn, and not just older people, it's younger people. In fact, I'm learning more now from the uh, the millennials, uh, as, as we like to say, than I, probably I ever did, because there's so much more to learn, because there's so much information out there, and it's, and you got to change with the environment. Um, you know, we can all sit back and say, oh, well, that's, you know, high-tech environment isn't, you know, for me, and I don't... But it is, and the more you can embrace that and learn from it and be able to maneuver through it, which I don't do well, but that's why we team up with uh, young and old in our, uh, our group here at uh, uh, Cushman Wakefield Grand Street Associates. We're very fortunate to, uh, to have that type of team environment, and that's again, propels the success for yesterday, today, and beyond. What's the hardest lesson learned uh in your experience, what's the most important lesson? Uh, what took you the longest to learn? What, what would you say? Yeah. Um, I would tell you that from the start to the end, um, human nature is to be emotional, and I think you need to remove emotions from your decision making <clears throat> as well as your, you know, approach to deals. Uh, be it, you know, a high level of emotion for a big opportunity and fee, or a low level of emotion from a small deal you want to run away from. Uh, emotions cloud decisions and they can make you selfish where you need to be unselfish always have to put your client first and is that a tough one it's easy to say it's always hard to do because the this business should not be as a brokerage run by the financial you know opportunity of it as much as the job you're going to do for your client because at the end of the day that past the money that you, you want to use yourself as a measuring stick is really not. It's how you approach the deal, how you left the deal, and the reputation that you've built mm -hmm. from your practice. Uh, not so much how much you made, because that's past tense. It's really understanding both sides of the deal. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for a lot of young people to come. It was, was for me. And uh, it was a lesson I learned fairly early on, is if you don't understand what keeps your client up at night, if you don't understand what uh, is, is the landlord is struggling with at that time, mm -hmm. and understand the market, which is what pulls that deal together, then you're not going to be successful. Yeah. And your reputation is going to be really dictated by that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is, uh, like I said, I always look at it from the emotional aspect and um, remove it, be more static, and uh, try to be very understanding of both ends of the deal. Um, also, another thing I was had trouble getting over from my younger years 
uh, into the mid years of the business was realizing with confidence that I'm in the room for a reason. I'm there because I'm the professional. And you've got to remember that the smartest people, the whole C staff staring at you, they're staring at you because you are the professional. They hired you because they don't know. And you do know. And when you go in with that level of confidence, uh, that is that that throws you over the bridge mm-hmm. and and uh, over the hump. And f- when you can get that under your belt, I think that really helps you to uh, really create a better uh, foundation of professionalism moving forward in your approach with people and approach to deals. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. So, so the, keep emotion out of it and stay confident. There you go. All right, great. Do you have any advice to uh, anyone starting out in brokerage, sales in general, and, or any uh, developing leader coming up in the industry? Yeah, I have uh, quite often told young people starting out in the business or trying to get into the business to really do their best to personalize their approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what happens in today's day and age of the uh, the big super information highway and being able to have instant uh, click access to everything from data to people. Uh, we lose a lot of the personality that uh, really plays a very key role mm-hmm. in building confidence, as we talked about earlier in the industry. And we take for granted that when we send out a click, uh, be it an email or a text, that somebody's going to you know, get it and respond, and they're going to understand it. And unfortunately, the black and white word, as we know, can be interpreted in many different ways. And I push and press upon young people to develop that personality and relationship, um, you know, as early as they can and as as, uh, much as they can. Uh, Send a handwritten note. Mm-hmm. Boy, is that that's an attention getter? <laughs> it is, but boy, what an attention getter! <laughs> when you send a you know a resume to someone via email, follow it up with a mail. Send it snail mail. Put a little handwritten note with on there stamp? as well. I so, said, with a stamp, oh, right? <laughs> and you know, because we're not getting that. Uh, you know, it's, it, back in the day, we used to have a pile of mail that came in the office every day. Now you got two or three things that come in, um, and very rarely are you finding them, any of them personal. Yeah. Uh, again, make a call. You know, don't be afraid to make the call. Why send them a text? Now, make the call. Send them a text, send them an email, and call them. And, you know, reference that you did all three in the email, in the text, and on the call. Mm-hmm. So they'll be looking out for it. They'll want to call you back, and you want to develop that communication. Big part of that is getting to know your customer as well, not just from the business side, but from the personal side. And that really comes from conversation. And when you can do that, you can sway away from into those outer ripples of instead of just being focused on the bullseye, which is the business and all the business elements, which is very key and important, understand what their interests are. So when you do take them out for a lunch or a coffee or a you know ball game, you have something else to talk about. Everyone likes to talk about their, their key interests, primarily family, um, or if they like the golf or sale or fish. And you're going to find, even if you don't have that common interest, you might find some interesting aspects of it. And you want to make those notes to your file. So when you go back to talk to that person two or three years later, you want to automatically slide into that comfortable element, which makes the business side in conversations that much more friendly. Yeah. So I always uh, push for that approach over the static, 
just send out an email or a text or, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a, a quick phone call and leave a message. You know, mm-hmm. try to get in front of the people as best you can. Um, you know, understanding your client, uh, a lot of times we just kind of push by that and we're pushing our building, we send out the information, we think that's enough, but we're really not understanding who is the best fit for that Mm -hmm. and targeting those people that are the best fit for it and then explain to them why they're the best fit for it, Mm -hmm. why that property is really designed for that type of use and maybe they're two or three years in the future with their lease, but you stay in touch now. You don't just chalk it away because things may change for them. I would say we look at the business elements always growing, but sometimes it's the other way, you know, where they have to cut back for various reasons. That's when you want to be there. You want to be that guy in the back of the room that when all the C-level people are talking about, yeah, we need to do something with our real estate. You want to be that guy that they look up and you see you in the back of the room waving your hand saying, I'm here to take care of you. And that comes from staying in touch with your clients. That stays really trying to educate your clients as well. I always try to send information out all the time to people, and sometimes they just pitch it in the can, you know, or delete it off their email. But it's wonderful when you get a a quick note back saying, wow, interesting read. Mm -hmm. And again, that helps to keep you in that room with them because you're in their mind. So I always try to push that upon young people, and uh, again, understanding the markets, uh, you have to understand what is going on in your market what the future uh, trends are, mm-hmm. try to stay ahead of that curve. takes a little time, takes a little research, but you've got to do it. Yeah. And really get involved and get involved in professional organizations, mm-hmm. be it a BOMA or uh, a NAOP, uh, SIOR, which I'm very in, uh, involved with, both on a local and a national scale. And, that has just really helped propel me. Uh, I do a lot of multi-market work, and that's really helped me in some markets where, say, Cushman Wakefield doesn't have an office. I'm uh, keyed in with all the SIRs across the country, so yeah. that's been a real benefit. And there's just a wealth of information. And to go back to some of the, the younger brokers, they look at you and kind of scratch their head and say, but I, I have all that information on the Internet. You don't. And I always like to tell people, when I sit down and have a lunch with a young person to tell them about SIR in particular, you will never know what I know and what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And you can hit the internet all you want and get as much data, and, and you're very good at assembling that. But you don't know how that all came together because there's no cookie cutters out there. All deals stand alone. Mm-hmm. And there's always little things that come up that blow up a deal. And you want to be able to maneuver, anticipate them and maneuver it. And that comes from experience. And that experience of those guys that are sitting across the table from you that have lived through it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those guys are in these organizations. Yeah. And, you know, CCIM is another good one very good organization. It's great to be able to key into those people and not just talk about the formulas, Mm -hmm. but understand how they're applied Mm -hmm. and when some maneuvering could go on to help benefit it because you don't see that when you're reading it off of an internet. Um, But that's that's the key items, I think, for young people to try to focus on. And in conclusion, you know, when it comes to you know interviewing or understanding the commercial real estate world, I always like to tell people, understand the specialization you're going after. Don't just try to get a job in commercial real estate. 
And I always get a little dismayed when I hear that from people and they sit across and say, oh, I want to work in commercial real estate. Well, what specialization? What are you interested in? Is it retail, which is different than industrial? Or is it office, which is different from capital markets? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to do that. All of them. No, you, you don't. You probably want to learn all that and have exposure to all that. But really, what? where's the juice? What turns you on? Mm -hmm. And a lot of young people don't do that. They're pushed over for various reasons to the uh, commercial real estate world because they think, oh, my God, there's big fees and you get to run around with a lot of C-level decision makers. And, mm -hmm. man, that's great. But it's really not unless you understand and want to be. You don't want to spend three years doing office and realize that that whole time you really enjoy uh, the industrial side. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need that exposure to understand what specialization you want. And I always tell people it takes a commitment of time. It takes three good years in this industry to really find and develop your niche. Because mm -hmm. it's going to take you a year to understand the markets. And during that time, you've got to build your churn. And building that churn takes another year. So it's really that third year that's really going to help you and the people that are trying to uh, help you along uh, in your company to know if you're really going to make it and know that you're really going to understand it yeah. and uh, realize that that's your profession of uh, choice uh, for your for your life. Um, but it's 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 tough. Uh, it's a tough industry, but it's a very rewarding industry. I always liken it to baseball. If you get three out of every ten deals you're going after, you know you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, I always don't just swing for the fences. Don't always chase bluebirds. They're called bluebirds because they land on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't chase and hunt them. Uh, if you do, you're going to waste a lot of time. And the biggest part of our business is our time. I would say real estate is a vehicle by which we make money. But what we really do is invest our time in opportunities. And that's a hard thing to understand when, yeah. unless you live it, as you know, in the real estate world. People always uh, turn a wide eye to that. Real estate is the vehicle. Time is what we decide to invest in the opportunity. Lots of great advice there. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So, thank you. Appreciate it. This has been a great chat. Yes. Really well, enjoyed well, it. Well, thanks for being part of it. Do you have any, any parting words, any little additional nuggets of information? Well, I, I, many. <laughs> I could go on for quite a while, but, um, you know, I always say, and mentioned it earlier, uh, always be willing to learn mm -hmm. uh, from young and old, all various aspects of life. Um, just remember, you know, that the smartest people in the world are people that know what they don't know, mm -hmm. and they hire the people that do. Mm -hmm. And we are those people that do know the real estate industry. So when those smart people from the corporate world, the entrepreneurial world, mm -hmm. or worlds where you feel a little bit intimidated because you don't understand what they do, yeah. you're there for a reason. And if they're really smart people, they're going to know and appreciate why you're there. So be confident. Remember, you're a professional all the time. And your reputation is what the, the greatest thing that you sell, and it's the greatest flag that you walk under. Great. Solid advice. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Jack, that was a fun interview. I appreciate you sharing your experiences today, and I'm sure DL listeners will as well. Once again, I want to thank Pat Sentner, Rick O'Brien, John Biliak, and Jack O'Donohue for sharing their knowledge and taking the time to discuss their stories. This podcast is available on all major podcasting services. So please subscribe to receive notifications when new episodes drop. Thank you, Clayton Morris.